Hi there, and welcome to the 2021 Maternal Mental Health Summit. My name is Crystal Wilson. I am a licensed clinical social worker and certified lactation counselor. I am thrilled to be bringing Let's Chat Mama virtually to you today and tomorrow. Um, I have some incredible therapist and lactation consultant who will be speaking with you and bringing you common issues experienced in the postpartum period and beyond. I know that this is an opportunity for a lot of mamas to connect as we haven't been able to do so due to COVID. And so being able to be in this space and with you for these next two days this weekend um, brings me so much joy and um, I am quite fulfilled and I hope you are as we go through these different topics and explore and process together. I want you to know that this is a space that is for you and so I want you to use it how you see fit. I also want to just apologize for um, the inconvenience that you may have experienced this morning with regard to um, the technological difficulties. Um, whew, you know, this is something that we are all um, sort of navigating um, together. And so I hope that you um, are able to either rejoin us tomorrow or um, you find comfort in the link to this video right here that recorded <laughs> during the uh, during the summit so that you're able to gain insight. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for being here. So a little bit about me. I am a mama to a 20 month old named Miles. Uh, I'm wife to Joab, who some people refer to as Joe. I have a virtual private practice in the state of Georgia. Um, however, that is my home base because I'm also licensed in the state of South Carolina. So I see clients in both places. I specialize in maternal mental health. Um, so I see mamas who may be dealing with um, disorders or issues both in the pregnancy and postpartum period. Um, I see mamas within my practice and couples who are grieving, who um, are grieving the loss of a pregnancy, a loss of an infant due to stillbirth, due to SIDS, um, mamas who are trying to navigate motherhood, which is what we're going to spend um, today and tomorrow talking about. I also um, see mamas who are dealing with perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, and that is what we're going to be starting off this presentation talking about. And so I want you to become aware, get familiar with these things so that you can, you know, see the signs and symptoms and become an advocate for yourself. Um, but also just be aware um, for your community as well. I host maternal mental health workshops for individuals and agencies, offer support groups, lactation services, um, and you can find my uh, guided journal on my website or on Amazon. It's a 52-week prompt uh, journal for exploration, for validation, and support for mamas. And then I also host the Birth Story Therapist podcast where mamas come on, share their experiences with birth and with motherhood, and we just have a chat, a very authentic experience. Um, so I'm really excited to have those moments. I know right now due to COVID and due to um, just the uh, different climate that we're in with regard to um, how we mother there are many different challenges that we have. And so, yeah, there's that. Um, so I'm glad to be able to host that podcast. Throughout our time together today, I will um, just bring you on board with why I'm even interested in having these types of summits and events. Uh, we'll talk about points of mention or housekeeping rules, uh, speakers and topics for both today and tomorrow. 
I'll also give you an overview of perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, answer any questions that you might have. Um, we'll also look at the topic that I'll, speaking on, I'll be speaking on, which is perfectionism within motherhood and managing your expectations. You'll hear from Shauna Allen, who will be speaking about relationship bonds, and then a lactation consultant by the name of Tashara. Technology. We know that today technology has not been on our side. And so we will, um, I'm glad that I have that point in there because it's important for me to just note that, you know, uh, we can think that we have everything in control and that is just not the case. So for whatever reason, if we get disconnected or have any more issues with regard to technology, whew, log back in and let's try and get connected. Um, you do have a chat box function, and so I want you to use it. There will be times where I say, hey, let's chat mama, and I know some of the other providers as well. And so I want you to engage with us. You might also be wondering, Crystal, why is there a, um, a cross through therapy? I want you to know that this is not therapy, what we're doing here today. Although we are therapists, you will get material regarding um maternal mental health or perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, this is not therapy. This does not replace your relationship with a licensed health professional. And so I want you to note that if you had planned on, for whatever reason, using this in that way, um, it's not necessarily appropriate. And I want to get you the resources in order for you to get connected with a provider within your community. And I have those for you already in this presentation. If this is a life-threatening emergency that you're experiencing, if you for whatever reason have thoughts about harming yourself, about death and dying, harming someone else, if you're experiencing any type of crisis, go to your local emergency room or contact 911. Again, don't wait until the end of this presentation. If you're not feeling like yourself, if you're feeling off, you need to check in with someone um, and that someone would not be any of the therapists who are here today. It would be a provider within your community. And if it is an emergent situation, it needs to be um, the hospital or calling and contacting 911. So I hope that's helpful. I hope that's clear. I hope that we're all on the same page with regard to that and how we're using this um, opportunity to be together for the next two days. I'm really excited. There's so many uh topics and issues that we're going to be discussing, common issues that are experienced again in the postpartum period and beyond. Um, and I can't wait to share. Here we go. So the purpose. Um, so aside from this being a passion of mine and talking about maternal mental health, um, I also just want to bring awareness to perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. I'm well aware that there is a gap in our knowledge base within our community um, for perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, a gap for a lot of reasons, right? Um, our providers just not being aware, stigmas associated with perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. But then also there is the issue of um, internal biases and internal expectations and things of that nature. And so I just want us to be mindful of that and explore those together. We'll also, again, explore common issues experienced in the postpartum period and beyond, normalize experiences in motherhood, identify evidence-based tips, bring you free resources, low-cost resources, and then I obviously want to highlight therapists who are in your community. And so while I'm in Georgia and licensed in the state of South Carolina, there are therapists and providers who are going to be on with us in different states. And so I want you to get familiar with them. The more and more we bring these types of awareness um, workshops and summits to you, 
know that these are people in your community who care, people in your community who empathize with you, and people in your community who can show up in the ways that you need for people to show up for you. Because so often within motherhood, we don't get um, that resource and that connection that we need. Um, So I want you to know that that is completely available to you. And yeah, it's just so important that you have that and know that it's here throughout this weekend. Okay. So moving forward, we are looking at the um, the weekend and what that looks like for us with our schedule. So specifically, you'll hear from myself um, with regard to perinatal mood and anxiety disorders today. Um, I'll also bring to you the topic of perfectionism and motherhood, managing expectations. You'll hear from Shauna Allen, a licensed clinical mental health counselor who will be talking about navigating relationship bonds, establishing healthy relationships with your supports, family of origin, and the family you created. You'll hear from Tashara Johnson, a internationally board certified lactation consultant who will be talking all things breastfeeding, specifically as it relates to how to access and where your supports are in that area. Tomorrow, you'll hear from Samara Blair, a licensed um, marriage and family therapist discussing coping with anxiety and depression. Patience Riley, a licensed professional counselor discussing mommy burnout, six ways to maximize self-care and utilize your social supports. You'll hear from Natasha, another licensed marriage and family therapist, and she'll be talking about uh, just regaining, reclaiming, and rediscovering yourself within motherhood. Um And then lastly, I'll bring to you some more information with regard to perfectionism, as well as some topics related to just stress in general um, and how to manage that. So what are perinatal mood and anxiety disorders? So perinatal mood and anxiety disorders are a set of disorders commonly seen in the perinatal and postnatal period. These disorders produce a significant mood and behavioral change. So I underline the word significant because I want to emphasize the difference between that and a typical adjustment period that mamas experience um, when they have a little one or even dad's experience when they have a little one come into the world. Um, And so that typical versus a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder, again, is that our PMADs, just for short, those are more significant, okay? At least 15 to 20% of women experience PMADs. Um, I would like to just point out here that this is an underrepresented number. And so you may see 15 to 20% and think, whoa, that within itself is a lot. But let me just say that Um, This this does not account for all mamas who are struggling and all daddies who are struggling as well. We know that there are a lot of barriers that exist to where we don't have the correct percentage of people who are, you know, suffering from these disorders, be it because of resources, be it because of access to resources, be it because of lack of awareness with our providers, be it because of stigmas, be it because of uh, just the the inability to or maybe not inability maybe because of the um, misunderstanding that people have with regard to symptoms and how they show up in mamas um, it could be dismissive in that oh you you'll figure it out or oh all mommies go through it you know just give it some time and so um, just 
you know, not not extending that unconditional, you know, listening ear and support that we typically need in that postpartum period for someone to like just listen to us and hear that, you know, when we say we're having certain symptoms happen, happening, like sleeping a lot, like I'm not able to pull myself out of bed. Um, these things aren't minimized, but people are actually hearing them for what they are and investigating a little, a little deeper. Um, the other thing I want to mention, um, of how this may not be the actual number is because, um, even with all of those things, <laughs> screening, screening is something that I see with providers that, um, don't necessarily get done as much or, um, effectively, I should say. And so sometimes we might go in for our six week postpartum. I've heard a mom saying I've never been screened at my six-week postpartum visit. I've also heard mom say that at my six-weeks postpartum visit, it was like basically a flyaway. Like they asked me all these questions and I don't even know if they really knew what to do with them. And so I hear that oftentimes or I have said certain things on my um, postpartum exam at my six-week visit, um, whether it's the... uh, a scale for anxiety or whether it's a scale for depression, regardless of whichever is used. And they say, well, I mean, I said things that I thought that might be alarming, but they didn't do anything with it. And so we also have to keep in mind that some providers don't necessarily know what to do with that information once they do screen. Then (laughs) the other thing why this may be underrepresentative of what is actually going on within our community, um, in terms of that figure is that, um, that there is uh, a huge gap in the amount of care that we receive in our postpartum period. So we show up when we're pregnant and receive all of these prenatal visits, sometimes 14 plus visits to the hospital um, or the doctor's office when we're pregnant. And after we give birth, we just get that one six-week postpartum visit, right? And so it's not a lot. Uh, We don't get the care and attention that we need. So, you know, that means that there aren't as many opportunities as they were beforehand when we were pregnant for the support um, that we may be needing in our postpartum period. So again, there are many different reasons why this number likely is not as accurate as we think. Um, Some symptoms within perinatal mood and anxiety disorders might be feeling sad, depressed, feeling um, more irritable, angry, having difficulty bonding with baby, anxiousness, being panicky, disruptions in your sleep or eating, uh, worried about harm to yourself or harm to babies, feeling like things aren't right or that things are out of your control, or having intrusive thoughts, which we'll talk about a little later. Um, I just want you to know that PMABs, they are something that can be treated. These are um, disorders that (laughs) you can recover from. The the symptoms are there and they may be really intense, um, but with treatment, whether it's psychotherapy, whether it's psychotropic medication, whether it's support group, whatever, you know, you work towards and that is helpful for you, these things can be managed. I want you to know that. Be hopeful. Um, so let's chat mama. This is our first chat that we're going to do together. Um, I want you to utilize your chat box and engage with me. So first question, how many of you have either been diagnosed with the perinatal mood and anxiety disorder or know someone who has been? So I want you to just drop that in the chat. Okay. We're starting to get some responses. Yes. I screamed myself. It appeared to be postpartum depression and anxiety. 
I actually do not know anyone who has been diagnosed. No, 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 no. Um, I know some friends dealing with anxiety, but not officially diagnosed. Okay. I have a friend, no for me personally, but I know someone who has a lot of clients since COVID. Um, we got some more yeses, my sister. Back to COVID, y'all, when um, <laughs> the interesting there is, I read an article recently. It was either from NPR or from Tom, but um, it talked about a screen line that was created during COVID for moms to call and literally just give out the loudest belly gut-wrenching scream that they can produce because they're dealing with so much in this moment. And so I know just in a moment of, you know, extending empathy to all of you all that we are going through a lot, right? If we weren't already, we definitely are now in the middle of COVID. I, for one, am a working stay-at-home mom and trying to juggle everything. Although I'm married, um, I am with our 20-month-old the majority of the day, and then my practice runs on in the evenings, starting at 5 and on the weekends, and so it's a lot, right? And I know you mamas are also experiencing this on top of having to deal with not being able to see your family and your friends and maybe engaging in certain activities that you did prior to COVID. It is a lot. And so the fact that we even have to have a scream line in order for mamas to just let out that belly of a boat, I want you to know that this is exactly why we're here. We're doing these presentations and providing this free summit to you all so that you can get access to this information. You can pick up on some free techniques and yes, use the scream line as much as you need to scream without the scream line, but we don't want you to get to the point to where you are suffering from a disorder and All you can do is scream, right? That you know that there's other things out there that can help you and other resources um, that can hopefully, you know, get you to where you need to be because, yeah, I mean, it's just so incredibly important for that to happen because you are, you're indeed worthy of being able to have access to different, um, to different resources, right? All right, so where are we? I've been kind of blabbing along. Okay, let's go to the next screen. So what is typical? Again, that typical adjustment period sort of looks like um, uncertainty or worry, um, worry that is actually rational. So if someone else were to hear you talk about this worry, it would make sense, right? Um struggle with disruptions in sleep, eating, Um, you're able to bond with baby, Um, you may be forgetful, Um, you may second guess yourself, may wonder if things are going right, but you eventually fall into your groove and it happens fairly quickly after delivery. And so the thing there is that Um, you know, the difference between that is with the perinatal disorder, these things are much more significant. Even if we look at baby blues, right? Baby blues is common in motherhood. Four to five moms experience this, but the duration of baby blues is totally different, right? The duration is anywhere from two days lasting to four weeks. And so I want us to be mindful that if it's anything past that four week period, that we may be looking at a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder, right? And it doesn't, again, mean that you're not, you know, acclimating well to motherhood. It just means that you may need a little bit of help, right? 
And so those some those symptoms may look similar, but they may look a little bit more exaggerated. And so whereas a mama who's experiencing that typical adjustment to motherhood may, you know, have worry while she's pregnant about bonding with baby, when it's baby blues, um, it may not happen as quickly. And so utilize your support system, get as much rest as you can, listen to your body, respond to those needs that you may have, um, you know, contact a therapist, get with the support group. Anything that might be helpful for you in order for you to, of course, get your needs met, um, because that is incredibly important to your health, to your baby's health, for your ability to function, all of that. So perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. Um, these disorders are <laughs> specifically breaking down postpartum and perinatal depression. I, I let out that side because I see this being a diagnosis for so many moms, um, but sometimes it's a misdiagnosis. So I just want us to keep that in mind. This is something that we hear commonly. And if you ask someone, oh, you know, a mom is struggling, they most likely will say, oh, she's probably going through perinatal or they'll say postpartum depression, actually. Um, symptoms, irritability, anger, sleep disturbances, appetite disturbances, sadness, crying, thoughts of harm to self or baby. You can read the rest. Guilt, shame, hopelessness. Some risk factors might look like a family history of depression, personal history of depression, poverty, marital status, recent loss, major life transition, all of those things right there that are listed. I also have on here a thyroid imbalance. A lot of times mamas don't um, understand why that one is listed. And it is listed because an underactive thyroid, whether it's your TSH or your T4, um, is likely to be the result of um, just hormone imbalances. We know that your thyroid is controlled by your hormones. And so if it's um, your thyroid is under, you may be experiencing things like being sluggish, having to sleep a lot, different things like that. And with those um, behaviors or mood changes that come with your thyroid, it can be closely linked to depression. And so I always tell mamas, yes, go to your six-week postpartum visit, but then also check in with your primary care doctor to get all of your labs completed so that you can know, you know what exactly is going on with regard to your thyroid. So perinatal and postnatal um, anxiety. This is one that I often see as um, more fitting for a diagnosis than postpartum depression. Um, we know that 6% of pregnant moms, 10% of postpartum moms experience anxiety. Symptoms look like inability to sit still, constant worry, racing thoughts, sleep and appetite disturbances, um, a sense of danger or worst case scenarios. So you automatically think about those. Physical symptoms like your heart racing, dizziness, chest pain, risk factors might be, again, that thyroid disorder, family history, your own personal history of anxiety, many more. I just listed those. Um, other issues related to postpartum or perinatal anxiety might be stress, um, internal, external expectations, trauma, health issues, um, in instability or unstable support. I'll tell you that I myself suffered with postpartum anxiety due to a, um, a medical complication that I experienced with my son shortly after delivery and sort of had to work through that in order to, you know, um, learn skills in order to manage my anxiety because my thought was, you know, oh my goodness, something bad is going to happen to my sweet baby because we experienced such um, 
of difficult situations or challenging situations. So again, experiencing depression symptoms, anxiety symptoms, contact your provider and get connected with a therapist. Post-traumatic stress disorder, 9% of women experience PTSD during childbirth or after childbirth. Um, Common symptoms look like flashbacks, nightmares, avoidance of stimuli, that could be a person, place, or thing, increased in those physical or physiological stressors, um, a sense of unreality. And what I mean by that is when you experience a trauma, your body essentially disassociates in order to protect you, right? So you might hear people say, you know, I was near death and it was like I had an out-of-body experience, right? Our body, our nervous system specifically, um, in our brain, they operate in a way that serves to protect us. Um, and so I'm going to be talking a little bit about that tomorrow, so I don't want to get ahead of myself. Um, risk factors for PTSD, unplanned C-section, complications with mom or baby, loss of baby, previous trauma such as a rape for sexual abuse, um, loss of power, um, feelings of inadequate support or communication during distressing situations like complicated labor. And so, so often I hear mamas say, you know, I felt violated during delivery. I felt like my consent was taken away from me by physicians or my midwife. Like, of course, they have a job to do. But sometimes I hear mamas say they went to check me to see how much I was dilated. And while they were down there, they went ahead and did a membrane sweep. And I had no knowledge of that. Or they went ahead and broke my water and they told me after the fact and I just feel so violated. And because of those experiences, they have trauma and that's very real. I can also empathize and quite frankly, um, identify with a lot of those experiences, having my own with regard to, you know, (laughs) uh, just certain experiences that I had with my son. You can listen to my episode on my podcast um, regarding my birth story, but Yeah, experiencing any of these symptoms, I want you to feel comfortable getting connected with a provider, getting connected with a therapist in order for you to find help because there is help in all of this. So there are two different types of bipolar. There's bipolar one, there's bipolar two. Um, We have the highs and the lows with bipolar one and two. With bipolar one, we typically see um, mania, rapid speech, impulsivity, Um, delusions, oftentimes larger than life, poor judgment, race and thoughts. Um, And with bipolar 2, that's more of the low. So it's like depressive symptoms, right? So we uh, mostly see people not wanting to engage in activities that they normally would. They may be slacking off with their ADLs, things of that nature. If you're experiencing any of that, contact a licensed health professional as well as a medical professional. OCD. So when it comes to OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder, I love talking about this. Um, Three to five percent of women experience this. Um, Common symptoms look like repetitive and intrusive thoughts, performing tasks to um, reduce the fear of an undesirable outcome, um, irrational or hypervigilance in preventing or protecting yourself or your infant from harm, fear of being left alone with the child. Um, And so when we talk about intrusive thoughts, that might look like a mom with contamination or with checking. There are so many other types, but I'll give those two as an example. So with checking, it could be you have a newborn or you have a child and you're constantly wondering, oh my gosh, are they breathing at night? So you're checking them. That's one thing, right? That That's like our typical, our adjustment period that we talk about. But when it becomes excessive, where you're losing sleep or you're finding yourself checking them three, four, five, six, multiple times a night and it's causing a disruption to you, 
to maybe even your household, we may be looking at OCD here. And so it's so important for us to be mindful of um, checking. Contamination is another one that I often see where mamas may be fearful and it be completely irrational. Like you've already washed a bottle once, but you're worried that, oh my gosh, what if I didn't wash it good enough? And somehow the baby starts choking or gets poisoned by the dish detergent. And so you wash it again and you're like, oh my gosh, what if I didn't do it good enough? Right. And so you have these very scary intrusive thoughts um, and I'll just say it is common that this happens. I'm sure we've all had the incident or the example of being by stairs with a baby or even ourselves and want, and thinking to ourselves like, oh my gosh, what if I fall down these stairs? What if I drop the baby? Like it's very natural. It's very common to have these things. And so I don't want you to think that this is unusual. The issue comes though, is when we're not able to check these beliefs and challenge them. And so um, we want to be able to to stop it in its track when it comes to performing those tasks. And so one of the important things here are worth mentioning is that obsessions with regard to um, OCD, they do not bring comfort. And so I want us to keep that in mind before we go to the next slide. But again, you have some degree of understanding that there is something irrational about what it is that you're doing, whether it's performing the task of checking or, you know, washing those dishes over and over again or the bottle um, or even the thoughts like you understand that, ooh, this is completely or to some degree irrational. However, you still struggle with it. Right. So in some cases, this is a good thing because you have that awareness. You just may need help breaking that um, the belief that you need to perform these tasks. Um, it's also worth mentioning that the thoughts, even though scary, they're rarely acted upon with regard to OCD. Now, if we skip forward, however, and we look at psychosis, psychosis occurs in one to two out of a thousand births. Um, and so what we see here is um, what we see here is disorganized behavior. We might see delusions hallucinations, hyperactivity, uh, depressed need for sleep, rapid mood swings, difficulty communicating, irritability, paranoia, things of that nature. It's important for me to just denote that the difference between delusions and hallucinations is delusions are those thoughts and those beliefs um, that are completely irrational, whereas hallucinations are you're seeing and hearing things that other people cannot see or hear, okay? Um, we usually see this occurring within two weeks of delivery. Typically, there's a 5% rate of suicidality um, and a 4% rate of infants being murdered because of psychosis. Um, worth noting uh, in the difference between psychosis and um, OCD is that with psychosis, the individual who may be experiencing this disorder likely finds comfort from this, right? So they they are comforted by these thoughts. They're comforted by these behaviors because to, to them, it is completely rational. Now, I want to just remind us that with OCD, you are not comforted. You understand to some degree that this is completely rational, even if you struggle with being able to, you know, manage performing the task with psychosis, you do it, you think it to you, it makes sense and you're comforted by it. Psychosis is one of those disorders that is an emergency type of thing. It is an emergent situation and an individual who is experiencing these symptoms needs to get connected immediately 
with a licensed clinician, oftentimes being hospitalized. And I just want to go ahead and just say, I know it's a stigma with mamas who um, may be experiencing these types of things. And so they sometimes when they're experiencing psychosis, um, feel like people are out to get them. And so that's where that paranoia comes in. So you may have a significant other or a partner who's trying to say like, whoa, like baby, like these things are irrational. Like what's going on? Like this doesn't make any sense or like, what are you doing? And to that person who's experiencing it again, it is very real. So this is a situation where (laughs) this person needs to get help immediately and they need to be seen by a licensed professional, a medical professional. They need to go to the hospital. Oftentimes um, within the space of being a therapist, um, we would have to contact the authorities in order for an individual to get the help that they need. And I know it's scary to think about that, but the important thing there is that mamas have to get help, right? If you're not getting help, you end up suffering. You end up suffering on your own. And we see here that 5% suicide rate and the 4% um, rate with regard to infants being murdered. And we obviously want to avoid that at all costs. So let's just keep that in mind. Let's see. And if you want to know the term to help you differentiate between the two, OCD, um, the term to associate with that is ego dystonic. And with psychosis, it's egocentonic. So, um, and that has to do with, again, the feeling comforted or, you know, being appeased by these thoughts and behaviors. So here we are, and we're talking about how does this affect us? Um, or who does it affect, rather? Who does this affect? Um, I just told you a story about me, right? Like, I experienced a postpartum um, anxiety disorder and... I experienced perinatal mood and anxiety disorder, um, specifically postpartum anxiety. And so, you know, I say that to normalize experiences of mamas who may be on this call, as well as mamas who are in the community. You know, I consider myself a middle class American, (laughs) an educated American. I am a therapist who specializes in this. I do this day in and day out. I've been doing it for a while and I suffered from it with myself. You know what I mean? And so, That's just to remind ourselves that um, a PMAD can show up in anybody, no matter the age, the race, the education, socioeconomic background, religion, or culture, right? And so I just want us to be mindful of that. Um, It's also important for me to say that triggers can um, happen and you can feel these symptoms um, 12 months after, right? Sometimes I hear mama say, well, Crystal, I have felt these um, these symptoms even after a 12 month period. And, you know, (laughs) we need to look at, at that point, which is so important as to why, um, clients and patients get connected with a licensed professional or someone who specializes in this area so that they can, um, investigate and see, you know, what exactly is going on. But if a disorder or symptoms were poorly managed, or untreated or misdiagnosed, it makes sense that some of these symptoms might still be there. And so if they are there, it's important for that person to recognize that it may not be um, deemed a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder, but it may be deemed major depression or generalized anxiety disorder or adjustment disorder or something outside of um, the perinatal mood and anxiety disorders that we're talking about today. 
dads. So I would be amiss if I did not mention dads, maybe because of society, maybe because of um, just the way that we have social constructs with regard to men and women and birth and parenthood and motherhood and you know fatherhood and things of that nature. Um, women, they sort of get the support, right? Like you get the phone calls, you get checked up on. Hey, you get the visits, the prenatal visits, even though it's only one, you also get a postpartum visit. Dads, you know, if someone thinks to ask how you're doing <laughs> or to check on a dad and understand that they too can suffer, um, then they do. And if not, sometimes dads end up suffering alone. So I just want us to check in with our dads and be mindful that dads can also experience PMAS. Um one in 10 dads actually experience postpartum depression, 18% experience postpartum anxiety. These symptoms can look similar, but they also can be different in that men sometimes throw themselves into work. We sometimes see substance increase um, or abuse. We see anger, hostility, violence, um, extramarital affairs. Um, maybe they're acting out in other impulsive ways. Um, they may start to miss work. They may be crying. They may have their own thoughts of suicide or death. Um, they may have more conflicts. Um, and then the typical, of course, loss of sleep, appetite disturbances, and things of that nature. So let's just be mindful again and support our dads as well. Um, a lot of the um, resources that I'm going to give you today, specifically one, Postpartum Support International, focuses on... Um, you know, the whole family model, right? Like giving dads and moms um, the resources that they need. So what does treatment look like? Treatment can look like psychotherapy. So that's your traditional talk therapy where you meet with a therapist or a licensed um, provider, like a psychologist or psychiatrist, and you develop treatment goals. And yeah, you work towards your goals. Um, medication. It's important for me to note that sometimes providers, midwives, OBGYNs, primary care doctors, they're unaware of how to treat a mama who's experienced a perinatal moon and anxiety disorder with medication because they're fearful or um, they lack understanding or aren't aware of how it may affect the unborn child or even a breastfeeding mama um, and the baby. And so they either don't prescribe or they prescribe the wrong thing. And so one of the resources I'm going to give you today has a psychiatric line uh, with psychiatrists who specifically specialize in perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. And so you can connect your provider with that line and they can ask those questions to help your provider um, get the correct recommendation and prescribe the correct medication for you. And maybe even, you know, bring some awareness in terms of moms being able to breastfeed and still be on psychotropic medication and carry a child and still be on psychotropic medication. It happens many times. It's helpful for that to be coupled with therapy. Um, other treatment options, support groups, leaning on your social supports, hospitalization. So again, sometimes Outpatient is the way to go. Sometimes you need a little bit more like inpatient hospitalization. We know that stigma is something that I've talked about throughout perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. Many different reasons why this exists. It could be culturally, I know just personally in the black community, um, there I have heard personally and from other women that um, with regards to mental health in general, it's, you know, let's pray about it. Um, and not seek services. There are other communities and other cultures that um, just don't talk about these difficult subjects. And so I want us to just be mindful that stigmas do exist. 
Um, but the consequences far outweigh that, right? You can end up suffering in silence and walking alone with this and struggling. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of mamas and dads end up taking their lives because of these stigmas. And so just know that there's support out there. I'm one of the people who can support you um, from a, a standpoint of a mama who has been through this as a therapist. There are other therapists who are who are on this call and um, who are going to be joined tomorrow with us who too have been through it. Um, and again, we know community resources that can help support you where you're at so that you get the help that you need it and it be um, no judgment there. And um, yeah, so yeah, just know that that is something that I want you to know that there is help you can recover. So speaking of um, postpartumsupport.net and resources to help you get to where you need. So I'm going to copy and paste this and move it over to Google Chrome because that works better on my computer. There's Miles, my little booby. Yep, here we go. We are going to post it into Google Chrome. You might notice that I'm doing a voiceover right now. Um, because we had some technical difficulties today. I'll go ahead and apologize for those technical difficulties. I'm re-recording this now. And so you might see my lips moving and you're like, wait a minute, she is not saying that right now. And that is true. <laughs> I am not because of our technical difficulties. So bear with me. So if you go to postpartum.net, click on get help and then go to PSI services, you'll see many different functions. We have a provider directory right there where you can literally put in your zip code and find a therapist or a provider who specializes in perinatal mood and in anxiety disorders, literally all over. Um, we have local chapters within our community. Um, these are volunteers who work for PSI on a volunteer basis. I'm a trainer for PSI, so I go into agencies and communities and bring awareness to maternal mental health and perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. You also have local chapters that can help you get connected. There are support groups, support groups for black mamas, support groups for Asian Americans, for the LGBTQA plus community, and for dads as well. So please access postpartum.net and find what may be helpful for you. There's also educational material on there as well. You see me trying to figure out how to work this system. <laughs> Here we go. I think we're bringing it back up now. There we go. Open Path Collective is another resource for you. Open Path Collective is a low cost, a low cost resource, um, ranging between thirty and eighty dollars. So if you um, are looking for an affordable option, that may be one for you. Also, your community center. Just be mindful that your community centers—they're right there for you. There are licensed therapists who can help you. Um, these are also therapists and providers at these community centers that know of resources within your community. And so the good thing about that is they can maybe get you into some different things. They know how to tap into these resources. So please don't forget about them as well as these others that I mentioned. So perfectionism, we are finally here and talking about it. Yay. So managing expectations and motherhood. So what is perfectionism? I um, have this clip regarding, um, <laughs> it is a clip by Amy Poehler and Tina Fey 
Um, and it is about uh, the movie Baby Mama, or it's a clip from Baby Mama. And it's them in the birthing class. And essentially, they're receiving this, this essentially, uh, what is it called? Like a Lamaze class. And the director or the, the facilitator or instructor for the Lamaze class, um, she says something to the effect of, you know, are you going to... Um, birth your baby naturally and, um, you know, not give your baby um, anything that is harmful and are you going to, you know, avoid an epidural and you're going to follow your birth plan and have a natural delivery and then she's like, or are you going to pump your body with Western medicine and all of these drugs? And Amy Poehler goes, ooh, ooh. Because she's like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And so I want us to remember here, it's a very funny clip. I'll include it um, in the, uh, like the informational box so that you can view it on your own time. But yeah, so the thing about that is we, even as um, we're pregnant, we are giving expectations, expectations that are related to perfectionism. Um, very early on, even during pregnancy. And the difficult thing about that is it sets us up for these expectations very on that we have to live within a certain um, space or we have to exist within motherhood in a certain type of space. And these expectations, which I'll get into in a little bit, do not work in our favor, right? These expectations are oftentimes um, irrational. They're oftentimes unrealistic. They are harmful to us um, and do not serve us as we walk through motherhood. And so what is it? What What is perfectionism? Perfectionism, they are traits, personality types um, that include high expectations that are typically unrealistic and irrational. I say unrealistic because um, they're often unattainable. Um, they're really high. <laughs> And I say irrational because if you were to ask someone else, they likely would not make sense, right? Or they would disagree that like, man, you're taking you're taking on a lot of pressure, right? Like you're taking the long way around this um, and you need to be able to give yourself a break. And so I want us to just be mindful that, um, that those are two main things that we look for with regard to perfectionism and motherhood. And so if we go on to the next slide, we will see that... Um, with regard to perfectionism in motherhood, we want to be mindful that um, there are many different things that contribute to perfectionism. We are obviously by nature protectors of our babies. We want to make sure that they are well, that they are healthy, that no harm comes to them. And so it makes sense that we would fear, fear failure um, and not want that to come into play in our motherhood journey, right? Um Self-esteem as well, low self-esteem specifically, um, contributes to perfectionism. Trauma contributes to perfectionism, right? Internal expectations, external expectations, negative attachment styles also. And so what I mean by negative attachment styles, if you've had a parent who may have been um, um, someone in your life who has set expectations, like a mom or caregiver, a dad or caregiver who has set really high expectations and held you to those things, you might experience perfectionism within adulthood and within your motherhood journey. Um, I'll also, 
I'll also mention if you had not experienced a caregiver who held you to any standard, um, high, medium, or low, you may be overcompensating, right, within motherhood. And so be mindful of that. So how does it show up? It shows up with negative thinking. Another term for negative thinking could be faulty ways of thinking. It could also be cognitive distortions. So what I'm doing here is I'm going to my website and I am looking up on my website um, a list of various common, common, um, cognitive distortions or negative think patterns. Um, and what's interesting here is we often see this within motherhood, but even outside of motherhood as well. So this is, this is even applicable to other areas of your life, just FYI. Um, so what I do see in my private practice, what I see in my motherhood journey, um, <laughs> What research tells us is that oftentimes what's common in motherhood are should statements or those definitive statements. So like I should be able to do this or I must do this. I never can do this. I always have to be able to get this done. And so some examples might be um, I shouldn't still be struggling with the loss of my baby. Right. It's been a year now. My husband, he's done grieving. My family doesn't seem to be grieving why am I still grieving, right? Like we put that pressure on us in perfectionism um, and it ends up setting up an irrational thought, which turns into an irrational belief that you are not where you need to be. Thus, you must be this negative thing, right? And so the important thing there is just being mindful that, you know, we need to be aware of these should statements, right? We need to be aware of these definitive um, languages that we speak to ourselves. Um, it could also be I... You know, I should be able to make my baby eat all of his food when really, you know, you do your part as a mommy, but baby also is a human, right? They're their own being and they can decide when they're full or not. Um, I um, am always going to struggle with breastfeeding or um, me and my husband are never going to come to understanding with regard to parenthood, right? When you put this definitive language on you, you end up facing different negative emotions like guilt, shame, anger, and it doesn't leave room for anything else, right? And the difference between guilt and shame, you know, you you feel guilty that the situation has happened, but then you feel the shame, right? Like you feel some type of way about yourself because of this event that has happened. And so the important piece again is recognizing that those things are happening and being able to challenge them, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Another common one is emotional reasoning. And so this is the distorted thought where you accept your emotions as truth and you assign them to your identity. And so as an example, it might be, I wanted so badly to deliver vaginally, but I ended up having a C-section due to failure to progress. I, didn't, I couldn't go past five centimeters. I'm such a failure, right? So that's that instance where you feel something and just because you feel it, not only do you make it true, but you also assign it to yourself. So I wasn't able to um, get my, you know, get all the work done around the house and finish my emails. I'm such a horrible mom for not making dinner. And we, this is our third night eating out. It's like, okay, yes, you may not have been able to get all of that done, but that doesn't mean that you're inadequate, right? Like you can't take these situations and assign them to who you are. And so the interesting thing here is just being mindful that you are not your experience and you don't have to assume your experience as a part of your identity, right? Like you can have a bad day, but that doesn't mean that you're bad. It's that sentiment. Um, 
Another one might be, um, you know, I um, failed at being able to, uh, you know, get get something accomplished with regard to, oh, my toddler isn't developmentally on the right on the right stage that he should or she should be on. Um, I am a horrible mom and things of that nature. I've heard that recently from mamas and I'm like, you are dealing with your child at home trying to become a teacher. We need to show ourselves some grace, which I'm going to talk about a little bit later because this is a lot. You know what I mean? You're parenting in the middle of COVID and we need to be able to see ourselves not as these situations that we're experiencing. It is pretty darn tough to be all of a sudden become a teacher and parent your children from home and be their teacher. So yeah, that's another one that I see. Um, Another one here I think I'm talking about is catastrophizing. So that's the distorted thinking that everything is going to be bad. The outcome is going to be the worst case scenario. So I'm going to talk about some tips to kind of challenge those negative thoughts at the very end. So stick with me. I think right here, I'm just talking them through and encouraging mamas to just remember to be mindful of these negative thoughts and to challenge them as they come and to recognize that um, it doesn't say common for no reason, right? Like these are common thoughts that we all have. And, you know, this, this is why we're here. We're normalizing experiences and we're bringing awareness to them. Comparing self to others is another. So, so often I love social media because I get to engage with you all. I get to um, engage with family and friends who I haven't seen in a while, but also social media can be quite discouraging. Sorry. Um, Because if you're comparing yourself to another mama, you have this high expectation or to someone else's life that you aren't where you need to be, right? We set these unrealistic or irrational expectations on ourselves when we're not taking into account where we are individually in our life and the factors that come into play in our life, right? And so I always tell mamas, even with like the snapback culture, right? Like I totally wanted my body to be right and it was not. And here I am two years later, still trying, or almost two years later, still trying to get my body right. And if I um, am not aware of how perfectionism is showing up when I consume different images or different content um, in media, then I run the risk of viewing myself differently because I feel like I have failed or that I'm not enough or that I'm not worthy. So perfectionism can definitely show up in those ways um, with regard to comparing yourself with others. So just be mindful of that. Um, Poor self-talk. So that's that inner critic that that tells you you are a bad mom, you're not worthy, all of those things. Again, poor self-talk, negative thoughts, they all become beliefs eventually. And if they're negative, they obviously serve you no purpose, right? They, They can't exist within motherhood. They can happen. But if you challenge them, you end up, you know, on a neutral or positive end. But if you don't and you're not even aware that they exist, then we run the risk of a pattern happening where um, you are increasingly struggling in motherhood and you're more likely to experience um, possibly a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. Being highly self-critical, right? So that's one thing that's pretty self-explanatory. I did not put up here, but I think is equally important is being critical of others. And so oftentimes in motherhood, we have to lean on our support or we have to tap on our support persons. 
For me, it might be my husband. For a lot of clients, I hear them say, you know, I want my husband to be able to help, but I know they're not going to do it the way that I need for them to do it. So I go ahead and do it. And I'm like, well, what does that mean for you? You know what I mean? Like you want to be able to lean on your support. Why? And they're like, because I need a break. And I'm like, okay, but if you don't extend yourself that break by tapping on your support system, then you never get that break, right? Like we got to remember that people are not going to do things the way that we want for them to do them. And that is okay. If we're highly critical of ourselves when it comes to us and our experiences and our emotions and everything that comes with it, and we're critical of others, man, like we leave no room for anything else. We leave no room for grace. We leave no room for other alternatives. We leave no room to be able to check perfectionism because we have this, this meter or this bar that is extremely high. Also disregarding the journey and only focusing on the outcome. So one interesting thing here is that the outcome can sometimes <laughs> seem like, oh my goodness, like why have I not been able to succeed in this area of motherhood? Why is this not done? How come I'm still struggling with this? And I want you to just take a moment and assess your expectations and ask yourself, could they um, be adjusted slightly in order for you to see and reflect on how far you have already come? You know, how often are you, you know, looking back and reflecting on where you were two weeks ago, two months ago, two years ago within motherhood and giving yourself a pat on the back and saying, like, I'm killing it, right? Like, I'm totally rocking this. We don't do that enough right? Sometimes we wait for others to tell us, but I'm encouraging you today to tell yourself, you don't have to wait for that outcome, right? Like we can modify our expectations to see these baby steps, these baby achievements. I always tell clients that progress is not linear, right? Perfection tells you that it's linear, but it's not. It's a huge web. It's an entanglement. <laughs> no Jada. <laughs> it is an entanglement, right? It is, it is all which away. Um, but it's still progress. How is perfectionism related to perinatal mood and anxiety disorders? Um, biological factors, psychological factors, and social factors. Biological factors being hormones, sleep, nutrition, genes. Psychological factors being personal history, family history of disorders, thought processes, core beliefs, distress tolerance, emotion regulation, social factors such as expectations, both internal and external, support, and finances. What's interesting here is we just spent quite a bit of time talking about perfectionism and we talked about thought processes and how they can become beliefs, right? The negative or the cognitive distortions. We talked about our ability to manage those types of things. So distress tolerance, emotion regulation. Um, but we also talked about expectations. So I just want to reiterate the fact that when we aren't able to be aware of these things that exist, right? we're more likely to face difficulty with challenging, face difficulty with being able to overcome these sorts of issues, thus increasing the likelihood for them to become a disorder. And we know if all of these things make up a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder, it's incredibly important for us to be mindful that these things, um, they can happen, right? If we're not, if we're not addressing them, if we're not mindful of how to ensure um, that we're utilizing techniques that are effective and we're checking in with ourselves and doing what we need to do in order to meet perfectionism and tell it to go the other way. <laughs> Barriers to overcoming perfectionism in motherhood, lack of awareness. Here you are today sitting with me 
and other providers gaining awareness. You get to walk away from today at least knowing about perfectionism, knowing the contributors to perfectionism, learning about the barriers, and some tips as well. So there you are, already one step ahead with regard to perfectionism and motherhood. Um, the inability to challenge negative thoughts, right? And so we know that this is a barrier because it turns into beliefs. And when they do turn into beliefs, then, um, you know, it's very hard to break a belief. It takes quite a bit of work because it's ingrained and it very closely matches your core um, and how you identify and the lens in which you operate within um, your personal life, both as a mom and as an individual. Unhealthy coping skills. I have this up here because it can be a barrier. You know, within motherhood, sometimes we experience rage, which that is a whole nother topic that I'd love to bring y'all back to talk about. But we experience different situations and it may bring about a negative emotion. And for you, it may be you shutting down and you isolating from other people because you don't know how to express yourself. But when you isolate and you don't express yourself, we push things under the rug, right? And when we push things under the rug, we don't allow ourselves the opportunity to, again, going back to those biological, psychophysiological, um, social factors, um, we don't allow ourselves to learn how to regulate our emotions. And so it's incredibly important for us to be mindful that some of the ways in which we um, utilize coping skills, they may be unhealthy, the coping skills, the coping skills themselves, um, or they may be healthy. And if they're unhealthy, it can potentially be if you're isolating and you're shutting down, you're sending the message to yourself that, um, you know, that this thing is happening and in some way you could either have prevented it from happening. You know, I'll tell, give an example. Sometimes when my toddler falls, I shut down because I'm like, dang it, Crystal. Like somehow you should have figured out how to like make sure the floor was completely cleared of toys or you should have known that he was going to fall. And so I shut down and completely feel bad, um, and that doesn't leave room for anything else because I end up faulting myself for it when really there are things that are outside of my control that happen and I need to learn to, you know, continue to practice and express in myself. Um, not tapping on support. We talked about that one already. So how does it affect you, mama? Your identity, again, becomes wrapped up in the idea of how things are supposed to be, right? It doesn't leave room for anything else. You see these things and these experiences as a part of you. Um, and that's it. You know, I heard this quote recently that said, you know, um, that things happen, things do not happen. I heard this quote recently that said things do not happen for a reason. Things happen and you bring reason to them. And so I say that to say to you, you are not defined by your experiences at all. You can define your experiences yourself. You don't have to be defined by them. And I find that to be so profound. So often we have experiences within motherhood, be it um, a loss of a baby, be it, you know, some challenges with our partner, um, not being able to manage our child's temperament. And we sometimes fault ourselves and we say, well, I guess it happened for a reason. You know, everything happens for a reason when really maybe we can investigate a little bit more and determine what reason can fit into our life that brings us more validation, more affirmation, um, that we are doing what we need to do and we're showing up the way that we are supposed to, right? 
um, in the way that you're supposed to is the best way for you. It ain't the way I tell you. It ain't the way no book tells you. And yes, I'm saying it ain't because it just is not. Like the best way for you to be a mama is the way that you need to be a mama in the moments that you experience. Uh, perspectives being one dimensional. So many of you may follow me on social media, but I have this picture up of my toddler getting into some flour and pouring it everywhere when I wasn't looking. That day happened to be a day that I was extremely busy taking care of him. We do like Montessori type activities at home because he's 20 months old. So we do a lot of sensory play and things of that nature. And so I was really busy with him all day doing educational material, obviously caring for him, trying to get prepared for that evening because my practice again runs in the evening and on weekends. I was cooking dinner. It was so much going on. And then he gets into the flower, right? And so in my one dimensional thinking with the imperfectionism, I almost wanted to snap. I did want to snap right? Like the flower was all over him. It was an entire bag. It was all over the kitchen floor. It was everywhere. And I wanted to shut down. I wanted to scream. I'm like, how am I going to clean this up? How am I going to clean him up? My husband isn't due for 20 more minutes to get here. I can't just leave this in the middle of the floor. I have to finish the food. All of these things have to be done. When I tapped into my needs, and that's the next one, difficulty in seeing your needs, those needs being your different stress responses. So there are many different ways, and I'm going to talk about it tomorrow, many different ways that we give off our stress responses. It could be, you know, physically or physiologically with those dizziness, chest tightness, heart palpitations, things like that. It could be behaviorally, like shutting down, screaming, cursing, yelling, all of those things. It could be emotionally with like feeling disappointment, feeling inadequate, feeling rage, feeling frustration or irritability or sadness. It could also be mentally with negative thoughts and poor self-talk. But if I'm only thinking within that one dimensional frame of perfectionism and I'm allowing all of those things that I just mentioned to sort of affect me without checking in with myself and really tapping into what exactly need that I'm currently having based off of my stress responses are going unmet, then I wouldn't have been able to move forward, right? But I was. And I tell you that you can too. I was able to tap into my knees and say, okay, you know what, Crystal? What should have happened was you should have rested, right? Like you should have been able to give yourself a break. You're literally going off of autopilot, going from one task to the other. He is a toddler. <laughs> I took into consideration his developmental age and I said, you know what? I would want to explore too at 20 months old, right? And so I shifted my perspective, right? From one dimensional to another dimension or another perspective or another lens so that I can see something other than what it was that I was seeing. And I was able to... You know, sort of see, this may be a moment for me to do something else. And so what did I do? I went and got the dump truck, <laughs> his little toy dump truck, and we played with the dump truck. We put flour in it and we rolled it back and forth. And if you're wondering, yes, I left the flour on the floor for my husband to pick up. And yes, the food just went on low until I got done <laughs> and me and, and my husband figured it out. Um, but yeah, I say that again to say that it's so important for us to tap into our needs and for us to move from that perfectionism standpoint, which is that one dimensional perspective to another perspective that is either neutral or positive. Right. Um, and then again, if you're operating from a perfectionism standpoint or within that lens, it affects you because you don't utilize your support like you need to. Right. So in that moment, I utilize my husband by just saying, you know what, he can clean up this mess. In order for me to be present with my patients at the end of this, when my husband walks through that door, I cannot be on my hands and knees cleaning up flour. 
I can't be struggling to cook and like trying to regulate my emotions. No, let me sit on the floor, play with my child, everything else my husband can figure out, right? Like I need to figure out what exactly my needs were telling me. And in that moment, it said, Crystal, girl, you need to rest. You have sessions with your clients later on in like 30 minutes. All of this other stuff, it will be okay. Kids get dirty, right? Like I have to move away from the fact that my baby was not going to go into a cupboard and of course roam around. Who wouldn't do that at 21? So so yeah, shifting your perspective, um, all of those things that I just mentioned are incredibly important. Um, and I know that you may have um, some questions, so feel free again to continue to um, email me. I know I'm doing this voiceover now, so um I know that some of the mamas who were with us today, they put some in the chat. But if you have some, I'll put my email address in the comment section or in the little description box. So feel free to email me if you have more questions about those. Um, let's see what else we have. Self-compassion. Yay. So we're on our tips and our techniques. So self-compassion. When we look at self-compassion, this is the idea or the concept that you know, you extend to yourself that level of grace, that level of kindness and support that you would extend to a friend or a family member. And so um, doing our summit today, um, I had mamas go into the chat, Let's Chat Mama, and they gave me feedback. So some of the things that they mentioned, because I took pictures of it, um, with regard to answering that question. And again, the question was, what's the last piece of advice or encouragement that you gave to another mama? Some of the things that I saw were... Here we go. My friend was discouraged about her body after breastfeeding, and so I gave her um, positive feedback. Um, friend was in labor with second child. I told her, you can do this. Your body was made for this. Um, praying for a safe delivery and postpartum recovery. Kayla said, um, don't worry about knowing what to do and what not to do. Your baby is wiser than you think. And will teach you everything you need to know about how to parent them. I love that. And I told her that when I read that out loud. All of these were such great things. Brianna said, take some time for yourself. Rest, ask for help. Yes. Um, Ebony said, I told her and she looked still. Um, and I said, not to worry, right? Um, Raynetta Irish said, uh, you were made for this. And give yourself some grace, right? So th this is perfect. Um yeah, Raynetta said, it's a daily practice and I'm still learning. Me too. Me too. A lot of the mamas had some other feedback as well. Um, and so it's important for me to note that this the self-compassion um, is simply you feeling your emotions um, and thinking about your thoughts without conditions, right? And so that without conditions piece is you not judging yourself, you not putting a limit to, you know, how long you should think about this or, you know, where or when or any of those, any, any type of condition, right? I want you to get into the habit and giving yourself permission to accept your thoughts, feelings, and experiences, right? We're human. And we, I, I feel like be, maybe because of expectations that we place on ourselves as mamas, maybe because of expectations that society places on us, who knows? It could be a combination of the two. But sometimes I feel like we lose sight that we're humans as well. But I'm here to tell you that there is humanness that exists within motherhood. And we have to remember that our emotions, they tell us a lot. They give us feedback. Um, 
And it's okay for us to accept them. It's okay for us to honor them. I often say, challenge your thoughts, honor your feelings, right? Check in with yourself. Ask yourself whether or not you're being too hard or you're being conditional with the things that you're feeling. Some ways to practice self-compassion. Be kind to yourself when you experience difficult situations or triggers. Understanding that some things are out of your control, right? Like a trigger for you might be your kid not finishing their food, right? For me, it is sometimes. I'm like, what is happening? Like I prepare this good meal. I put all of these foods that I know you eat on this plate plus some new food so you can get familiar with the texture. And here you are just dumping it all on the floor. Like, what is going on? I'm stressing out because I'm like, is my kid going to starve to death? If if you've ever gone through the toddler stage with a picky eater, even a child who isn't a picky eater, but they prefer to just explore and not finish their meal, whew, it is is a struggle, mama. (laughs) It is a struggle. It's so funny. I was talking to some other mamas about that earlier. Um, But yeah, so just remembering that there are things outside of your control and you may be able to bring, you know, your child food and things of that nature, but it's up to them to consume it. You can't shove it down their throat, right? So keep in mind that there are many things that are outside of your control. I want you to give yourself permission to feel things as they happen. So again, not pushing things under the rug, not waiting for them to um, just magically go away on their own. I mentioned earlier this week on... Um, my Instagram that so often I hear mamas say an affirmation and I'm like, okay, and then what, right? Like we can say these sweet words, we can say these beautiful poetic statements, but are we actually spending time and sitting with the feelings and the thoughts that we're having? Or are we just putting a bandaid over them with some pretty words? And I mean, yeah, you know, tomorrow will be a new day or um, I, I, Things are better in tomorrow. I mean, any affirmation, you know, I, I am, I am strong. I am tough. I can. All of those things are great. Yes, say all of those things to yourself, but also don't neglect your emotions. Don't neglect the thoughts that you're experiencing because they tell you so much. And when you do neglect them, they end up resurfacing, right? They end up coming back around, and you end up getting triggered again because the thing that you're putting on that affirmation, it's like a band aid, right? It's like putting it under the rug. Eventually, you're going to trip over that hump in the rug. Eventually, that band aid is going to fall off, and you're going to bleed through because you're re experiencing something. And so, just be mindful again that, um, yeah, like give yourself permission to feel them as they are. You may even say, Crystal, but well, what the heck? You want me to experience pain as it happens or anger? Yes. That goes back to that uh, perfectionism, right? Like if we don't give ourselves the opportunity to take off that super bomb cape and tell ourselves that you don't have to be strong all the time, that you can experience hurt and sadness and all of these things, then when you do experience them and it's really, really difficult for you to put that band-aid on or it's really difficult for you to find this temporary coping skill that you seem to think is healthy but is actually unhealthy and harmful, you end up totally bashing yourself and totally just you know, plummeting who you are as a person and your identity. And that is the opposite of what you need to do, right? You need to face things head on so that you can emotionally regulate and learn how to tolerate your emotions. Um, thus, it helps you, you know, eventually tolerate the experiences that you're having. It becomes a lot more tolerable. Um, pain becomes less intense, things of that nature. 
Also, you don't deserve to experience a difficult event and be critical with yourself for not having the capacity to fight off the feelings or negative thoughts that come about. And so what I mean by that is sometimes we hit ourselves with a double-edged sword, right? Sometimes we say, um, you know, this situation was so awful. Oh my gosh, why couldn't I figure out how to get through that situation without having, you know, an attitude or why did I have to snap? Like, yeah, it was a horrible situation with the flower on the floor, but like, why did I do X, Y, and Z? Why did this emotion come about? Like, no, like give yourself some grace here and some kindness, the same that you would extend to another mama and say, girl, like these things are hard. Like this is difficult. You do not need to, you don't need to dig in the wound, right? You don't need to experience something difficult and chastise yourself about the feelings and the thoughts that come after. You don't have to do that, mama. Um, engage in things that are validating. Here we are in a space that is completely safe, that is empathetic, that is supportive. This is a validating space, right? Exist in other spaces outside of our summit this weekend that are also validating and affirming to who you are as an individual, especially as a mama. Um that could be social media, that could be your friends, your family. I do know that we're going to have some therapists talking about um, family of origin and supports and stuff like that. And so just be mindful that sometimes we get unsolicited advice. Sometimes we experience toxicity with regards to people who we think are in our support system. I'll tell you, even if it's your, your husband or your partner or whomever, if they're not showing up in the ways that you need for them to show up individually for you as a person or even as a mommy within mommyhood, um, I encourage you to find your village elsewhere, right? That doesn't mean kick them out of your life, but it does mean you still have needs that need to get met, emotional needs, mental needs, spiritual needs. You need that social support, right? And you need to have the people around you who are going to be your village. Um, coping skills. So we sort of talked about that already and Challenging self-talk and negative thoughts as well are also different ways to practice self-compassion. So our next tip, so excited, love talking about duality and motherhood. So duality and motherhood um, is incredibly important. This does exist within motherhood. You are not unusual. You are not weird for experiencing these things. So let's jump right in. Duality and motherhood is essentially the concept or the idea that two things can be true, right? So I put this little example here that says, I can be the primary caregiver and tap on my partner for support before I tap out. And so that's, again, like you can have um, this space to where, yes, you are this thing and also you need this. So another example that I like to give mommies when I'm explaining this is we're in the middle of COVID and we are all grieving to some degree, right? I'm even grieving too. Um, and we're grieving the experiences that we are missing out on or that we had prior to COVID. It could be engaging with family and friends. It could also be the experiences that you want wanted to have with your with your other mommy friends. It could be the experiences that you wanted to have with your littles. Like me and my son, we go to the zoo all the time, but I really wish that we could go to the museum and he could be around other toddlers and do water play at the museum and things of that nature. But that doesn't fit our family right now because we are still very much so practicing social distancing and quarantining and things of that nature. And so I say that to say, yes, mama, you can grieve all of those things and you can still be grateful, right? You can still be grateful that you're healthy, that y'all are in a place where you still have resources and you haven't experienced some of the hardships that other families have had. Two things can be true. 
other things as well, right? Like you can experience um, um, frustration and anger and um, sadness with regard to experiences in your motherhood, but you can also be hopeful and embrace everything that, that may be coming your way. And so I encourage you not to think of motherhood as being something where only one emotion can exist. That is not the case. Not the case at all. You can be a good mom and cook dinner five nights out the week, but you can also be a good mom and decide, you know what? I need to rest and I need some self-care. My husband can figure it out or I can order takeout or I can go and get a DiGiorno from the frozen section at Kroger, whatever it is. You know what I mean? And so we're going to chat right here, mama. So go ahead and go to the chat box. This is what I told mamas when we were doing the session. So what I told mamas when we were doing the actual live session was to go to the chat box and um, fill in the blank. So I can blank and blank. So essentially their task was to go to the chat box and fill in a question or a statement um, that left room for duality in motherhood. And so some of the statements that I was really, really excited to see um, was I can be a great mom or wife and still make time to meet friends and for self-care. I can plan a full productive day of mommying and go with the flow, right? Um, some other statements that were really um, validating and affirming to a mommy was, um, let's see, I can show and express my emotions and be composed at the same time, right? I actually commented on Charnay's because I'm like, that, that's totally true, right? Like you can keep it together. You can be the rock in the backbone for your family, but you can also have moments where you need to cry, where you need to scream, where all of those things can happen. And that's totally fine, right? Um, and we need to remember that, again, we are human. Um, Lauren said, I can still be a great mom and spouse and not overextend myself. I really love that one as well. I love all of them. <laughs> um so I really appreciate some of the mamas um, sharing in here. And the list just keeps going on with some of their statements. I really appreciate all of the mamas sharing. And if you're listening to this, I really hope that you uh, make some statements of your own so that you can see the duality in motherhood as well. Um, within the journal that I created and have for sale on my website and on Amazon, I have opportunities for you within the weeks to you know, find that duality within your motherhood. And so again, we're crossing out perfectionism and we're understanding that we don't have to just decide, right? We don't have to decide just to be grateful that we are in good health and that, you know, for the most part, things have not changed drastically with regard to COVID. No, you don't have to decide that. You can you can be grateful, but you can also still grieve. Like, I want to see my mama. Like, I have not seen her in a year. I haven't seen my nieces and my nephews and my sister and her husband. Like, I mean, my husband, he hasn't seen his family. Like, I mean, it it's okay. You can have both. You can have both both of those emotions, right? It can exist. Again, um, all of these things give you feedback. Um, specifically with regard to that example that I have listed there, if you're saying that, you know, you can be the primary caregiver and tap on your support system um, in order to show up, it might be feedback that you receive uh, that may lend itself to how your support system is showing up. It could also be um, the ways in, in which you need your support system to show up more. Um, it could be the way that you're, you actually can see whether or not you're practicing self-care within 
these duality statements. So I encourage you just to look deeply at them and to um, encourage yourself to allow duality to exist within motherhood. And so here we are with reframing. This is the last tip for today. And so um, with reframing, we want to be mindful of, I didn't put on here negative thoughts, but negative thoughts as well as self-talk. And just be aware that with reframing, you are shifting your perspective or your lens so that you're able to see things from a neutral perspective or more positive. And so one way that looks like this um, with self-talk is you say, okay, all my baby does is cry or it's a child or toddler, all they do is throw temper tantrums. Things are never going to let up. However, if you reframe that statement, it may look like babies cry, toddlers throw temper tantrums, they don't yet have the language to express themselves, this is the only way that they can communicate, I fed, I checked his or her diaper, I made sure to soothe them. This will not last forever. They will learn to regulate themselves and we will find our groove, right? This statement that is reframed, it offers so much more. It offers self-compassion. It offers hope. It, If it does become a belief, it attaches, your, attaches to your identity. And I'm sure follows much closely with your values than a negative uh, self-talk or a more um, self-critical self-talk would. This matches more closely to your values if you were to put them against each other. So just be mindful that you can do this with self-talk. You can also do this with um, negative thinking as well. Uh, but there are so many more. I encourage you to take this. All of these techniques that I talk about today are completely evidence-based. All of them um, are things that I practice within my private practice that my clients have found, have found helpful, that I have found helpful, um, and that... Yeah, I hope you do too, right? <laughs> I hope you find helpful too. Um, so I am going to ask for some questions. So I am going to just read some questions that some of the mamas had um, after I gave this very last um, this very last frame. And so one of the questions that a mama had was. Um, Crystal, you mentioned the technique of shifting from a one-dimensional, the perfectionism standpoint to a different lens. Um, what other techniques could she use if she were experiencing something that was distressing or, um, a difficult situation? And so I, uh, went back to that flower incident since she mentioned it. And I brought up the fact that, um, you know, some of the emotions that I was experiencing were um, worry and anxiety, and my nervous system actually was disrupted um, because of what I was experiencing, right? Like, I was in a hurry trying to get everything done. And so I mentioned to this mama and to the other attendees that grounding techniques is another helpful technique to utilize. And so with grounding techniques, we often see that... Um, we often see that these things are helpful because they get you out of your mind where that perceived threat is and into the here and now or into the present where you can actually identify what is an actual threat, right? So our body does its job. We talked about those different types of stress responses. We talked about um, you know, how our body disassociates when we're experiencing something traumatic. Our body does its job by alerting us to a potential threat. 
our job past that is to have the tools and the skills and the techniques like what we're talking about today in order to differentiate between a perceived threat and an actual threat. And so a grounding technique um, is helpful in being able to do that. And so uh, this mama who asked this question, she actually mentioned um, like a breathing technique. And I said, that's totally one. A breathing technique is totally a, a, a type of grounding technique that you can utilize to move away from the perceived threat into the here and now and kind of bring yourself back into what is actually going on around you. And so we talked about five, four, three, two, one, five, four, three, two, one is a technique, um, that grounds you in the here and now. And one way that it does that is because it takes a hell of a lot of time to do it. And so it definitely um, distracts you. And so that's one thing. But then it also allows you to see like, whoa, like there, there's nothing going on around me that is catastrophic, right? The sky's not falling down. Hell isn't breaking loose in front of me, right? And so it can bring comfort to your nervous system and you being able to see all the things around you. So you use your senses and being able to do this. And so we'll start with five. And so we look around the room and we name five things that we can see. And so I actually demonstrated it while we were live doing the summit. And so I'll do it now <laughs> for you listeners. So five things that I can see. I can see my computer. I can see the window. I can see pictures on the wall window, pictures on the wall, my computer. I can see my hair from the corner of my eyes. And um, I also see my child's toy that's in here right now. Four things that I can um, feel. I can feel my glasses on my nose. I can feel the chair beneath my bum. Um, I can feel um, my socks on my feet. <laughs> and I can be, I can feel my phone because it's close to my elbow right here. Um, three things that I can hear. I can hear my computer still overheating from this morning. So mamas, if you listen to this and you're like, dang, Crystal, your computer was overheating earlier. It's still overheating now, probably because I had to re-record and re-record and re-record because of our technical difficulties. Um, I also hear uh, my husband in there um, slamming the microwave. I don't know what he's making right now this late at night. Um, I also hear the TV in the background. Um, two things that I can smell. I can smell my husband making cookies <laughs> and I can smell the dinner that we made. Um, one thing that I can taste, I can taste, um, some mints that I was eating earlier. And so I often tell clients, if you're unable to taste something or to come up with a taste or to come up with smells, whether it's your two or your one, I encourage you to think of those things that bring you comfort or your favorite things. So for someone that might be my favorite smell of essential oil, which is, ooh, excuse me, which is eucalyptus. Uh, for someone else, it might be my favorite smell is my favorite candle or something like that. Um, for food, it could be, you know, my mama's sweet potato pie because I miss them so much and I can't wait to just be around family and have my mama's cooking and stuff like that. So um, the thing about thinking about those favorite things is we know that endorphins are let off, right? When you feel joy, when you feel happiness, your body lets off those different types of emotions. So if you are experiencing something that is distressing to you and is bringing you anxiety, 
it's a good thing to have those endorphins moving about, right? Like you want to feel that. So that's one technique that I mentioned. Another technique that I mentioned was thinking about the worst case, best case, and likely case scenario. Again, an evidence-based technique, we call it putting your thoughts on trial and really investigating um, yourself, um, investigating the situation and the thoughts that you're having surrounding this difficult situation. And so what that might look like, again, I'll use the flower situation with my, my toddler. Um, worst case scenario is he slips and falls on the flower and bumps his head. I get all dirty and I'm late for my clients in the evening. I end up burning the food. My husband comes home and he's pissed off because the house is a wreck. That's worst case scenario, right? Best case scenario is I'm able to finish cooking, clean up myself, clean up my kid, clean up the floor. I'm present mentally and physically for my clients in 30 minutes. That's the best case scenario. I'm not flustered. I'm not frustrated. I'm able to manage my anxiety and all of the symptoms that I have or stress responses that I have from that experience. Likely scenario, likely scenario tells us um, that I had to shift my perspective, right? That I may have experienced perfectionism showing up with me saying, why is this happening, right? Like I, I wasn't supposed to be off track, right? I had my day planned out to a T, right? That's what perfectionism told me. But the likely scenario allows you to see what else there is. And that's exactly what I did, right? I shifted my perspective to the things that could meet my need and to regulate and soothe my nervous system. And so that's that's exactly what that nervous that excuse me that's exactly what that uh, likely scenario does. It offers you self compassion. It offers you hope, but it also offers you alternatives. Right. The whole purpose of being able to shift your perspective from being irrational and unrealistic with regard to perfectionism is you leave room for other possibilities, even if some of those other possibilities have outcomes that are unfavorable, right? Because we know that life isn't always going to be as favorable as we like. But what we do know is that if we're able to experience these different things that may be stressors and may be um, unfavorable, um, we know how to deal with them the next time they come, right? I always tell mamas, like, you have been through tough stuff. And you will go through tough stuff and you will come out on the other side, right? These things will not break you. So another thing that I want us to be mindful of is um, how fear can show up. Fear can show up in motherhood and make it difficult to challenge the barriers that come with perfectionism. Is if we don't have a clear understanding of how perceived in an actual threat works. 54321 is a grounding technique, a grounding technique that you can use in order to um, get away from that perceived threat that's in your head that tells you that what you're experiencing is so overwhelming and you don't have the capacity to handle it. And instead, what it allows you to do is to move away from that space and move into the space that you're physically in, right? When you ground yourself into um, the space that you're in, you're grounding yourself into reality, right? Like you're able to look around the room. And the specific example that I want to speak about is the 54321. And that's five things you can see. So if I look around my room right now, while I'm experiencing some anxiety, I might say, I can see my computer, I can see my window, I can see 
um, your faces on my screen. I can see pictures on the wall. I can see my pen right in front of me. Four things that I can feel. I can feel my hair on my face, my glasses on my nose, my chair underneath my bum, my computer cord on my leg. Three things that I can hear. I hear my child <laughs> in the other room. I hear cars going by. I hear the TV in the other room. Um, or I could say my computer humming because that thing is loud. Um, two things that I can smell or, or taste. Now, the interesting thing about taste and smell is... Um, Sometimes it's very difficult for those things to come about, right? Like if you haven't ate something recently or if there isn't any aroma going on right now, you may not be able to pick up on anything. So I always encourage those to think about things that bring you joy. Think about things that bring you comfort. We know that when you feel joy, happiness, and comfort, um, your endorphins are going, right? Your, you, you, those hormones are going throughout your body, thus affecting your mood. And so... Two things that I can I can I can smell. I smell my husband around there cooking, and maybe I can't smell anything else. But maybe I say, you know what? I ah, I love the smell of eucalyptus essential oil. I wish I could smell that in this moment, right? One thing that I can taste. If you can't taste anything right now, then that's fine. Maybe maybe it's I wish that I can taste my mom's favorite meal that she prepares on holidays, right? Maybe I need to remember and recall those those moments where I was around family and 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 receiving all the happiness and the joy and the laughter that I haven't been able to get recently due to COVID or due to whatever reason. And so that's what five Four, three, two, one is it's using your senses to get away from that perceived threat and bring yourself back present to reality so that you can determine whether or not there's an actual threat. Right. So one, it takes a hell of a lot of time to do. <laughs> right. So you're totally distracting yourself. But then also, too, it puts you back into control, right? Like if you have the ability to list all of these things and to identify all of these things around you using your senses, man, you have the ability to also tap into some other skills to soothe your nervous system. And so that's incredibly important for us to remember. Um, also control, right? And so being aware that there are things outside of your control and if we aren't or if we are not aware of the things that are outside of our control with regard to our relationships, with regard to our, um, our motherhood, our family unit, the way we parent, all of those things, then we put, again, that unrealistic, irrational expectation on ourselves to be able to um, operate at this level that is so much pressure and provides everything that is um, everything that goes against your values and the outcomes that you actually want, right? If we if we focus on the things that are outside of our control, we end up experiencing things like mom guilt. Like, why was I not able to get my child to eat all of this food? Like, I'm such a horrible mom, right? Like, we we end up experiencing things like I'm a failure because. I wasn't able to breastfeed or 
um, I'm not a good mom. Like, no, like, let's be able to separate our experiences from who we are as a person, right? Let's be able to say that there are things within my control, but then there are things outside of my control. And what brings me comfort, what adds to my life, what adds to my motherhood journey, what helps to um, break down those barriers with perfectionism is being able to operate within the things that I control and whatever I can't to allow those things to stay where they are and hopefully work out, right? When we think about relationships and, and even parenting with your partner, um, sometimes that can be met with quite a bit of um, maybe disruption or imbalance. And so the important piece there is just reminding yourself that you have so many things that are within your control, right? You can be assertive, you can set boundaries, um, all different types of things, right? You can show up for yourself. Um, you can meet your needs, right? You can help to educate them. Outside of your control, that's on them. Like they have to come to their own understanding, much like with your child, right? Like I want my kid to eat all of their food so that I can know that, oh my gosh, they're not going to starve. But at the same time, it's not my responsibility to do that, right? Like we don't have to overextend ourselves in order to get those things done because again, they are, they, are, they are their own being and there's some things, again, outside of our control. Um, so I think that that wraps up a little bit about what I shared um, over the past two days and yeah. I hope that answers some of your questions. I know we had some in the chats and um, we had some mamas come on. So I'm really excited to be able to bring you this information for some of the er other therapists to be able to bring you information as well. Um, and I look forward to us continuing to engage with each other and put on these types of workshops. And, you know, I'm just so appreciative. If no one tells you, I'll tell you, you are worthy. You are enough. You are a good mom create your own definitions of all of those things in order to fit your life where you are right now and modify and adapt your expectations so that you don't um, have to deal with that, <laughs> deal with the fallout after, right? Like so that you don't have to experience those, those negative emotions and judge yourself for them so that you don't have to experience difficult situations and not be able to handle them, right? Not be able to have the capacity to apply a coping skill that's effective, right? For you not to turn that negative thought into a belief. You are worthy. You are enough. I'm thankful for all of the presenters. Thankful for you all. Um, we had a lot of giveaways uh, this weekend. Um, and I can't wait to <laughs> edit everything and send everything out to everyone. Um yeah. So thank you again for attending the 2021 Virtual Maternal Mental Health Summit. Let's chat mama.